0: So good morning, everyone, and, and welcome to uh, New City Church's uh, online Easter service. We're transitioning from worship uh, in uh, to the sermon. Two weeks ago, we began uh, looking at Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans is a book uh, in the New Testament of the Bible written by Paul, who's an amazing uh, leader in the early church. Romans 8 is a very special chapter Because it gives us a paradigm with which we can cope with present grim suffering, even as we enjoy our glorious future hope in Christ Jesus. And we need this paradigm now more than ever, as the world grieves the death of over one lakh people in the COVID-19 Pandemic. The, Romans, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, does not pretend that present suffering does not exist in order to build our hope in Jesus. Neither does this chapter whine so much in present suffering that we forget the future hope we have in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 is, is a great illustration of how we can all continue to hope in Jesus, in and through almost unbearable suffering that we are all seeing all over the world. This Easter morning, as we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and as we consider how his resurrection gives us the greatest hope, Hope ever, I'd like to look once again at Romans chapter 8 to help us grow in this hope. Two weeks ago, we saw from this chapter that Christian hope uh, is not easy. We saw that Christian hope is free, but it is not easy. We saw that the Bible uh, portrays Christian hope through the imagery of a pregnant woman a groaning in labor and not. As some Barbie doll all pressed, all dressed up and, and pretty. Today we're gonna to look at the second reason uh, why Christian hope is not easy. Christian hope is not easy because it is far too glorious for our minds to imagine. Yes, that's right. Christian hope is not easy because it is too, it's far too glorious. For, for our minds to take hold of. It's far too glorious for our minds to to, to comprehend. And that's what we're going to be uh, looking at this morning. Allow me to read uh, the Bible passage we're going to be looking at. This is Romans chapter uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. I'm going to read that out for us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen Is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we pray that even as we come under your word, uh, even as we uh, submit to the preaching of your word, we pray, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit and fill us, Lord God, with this hope in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Fill us with this hope of the redemption of our bodies. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage calls for two great gospel virtues in us. And that's all I want to focus on this sermon. Two great gospel virtues that this passage calls us for. First, this passage calls us to faithful imagination. And second, this passage calls us to heartfelt conviction, faithful imagination and heartfelt conviction. These are the two things I'm going to be drawing out for us from this passage. First, I want to look at faithful imagination. Look at verse 18. The first words that I read for us today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. So this verse is not talking about the glory of God. This verse is talking about the glory that will be revealed in us. So what is this glory that will be revealed in us? What is this glory in us that this verse is talking about? Verse 23 in the same passage gives us the answer to that question. Let me read that out for us. Verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The glory that which will be revealed in us that this passage is referring to refers to the redemption of our bodies. Romans chapter eight is telling us that the thrill, the sheer thrill of the future resurrected bodies, of our future resurrected bodies and eternal life with Christ Jesus will give us the strength to live through the present suffering and sickness of our bodies. And we only need to be faithful in our imagination of the redemption of our bodies. This glory in us that this verse is talking about is the future glory of our resurrected bodies. Allow me to quickly establish this further with one more verse before we really dive into exploring and unpacking this faithful imagination that I'm talking about. Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Philippians is another book of the new Testament, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's what Paul is talking about. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, and he's, when he says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He is referring to the future glory of the resurrected bodies that we will have when Christ comes again. When we will be like him. And Today, we're going to see another reason why Christian hope is not easy. Christian hope is not easy because it is so hard for us to comprehend the full implications of the resurrection of Jesus for us. What does the resurrection of Christ Jesus mean for us? It is not easy to comprehend the fullness of the answer to that question. The Bible promises us, Jesus promised us that just as Jesus rose again from the dead, all of us who believe in him will also rise again after our death into eternal life with Jesus and we will all have a glorious resurrected body. Can you imagine the thrill of being with Jesus forever in our resurrected bodies? The thrill of our resurrected bodies. Can you imagine that? And the honest answer to that is we cannot fully imagine that. Uh, we can imagine many things. Uh, we can imagine uh, the thrill of going into space. Uh, we can imagine the thrill of going into space because we have some understanding of that paradigm, You know, maybe through movies. Every science fiction movie, every space travel movie, will give you at least one beautiful picture of a view of blue Earth from space. And even in movies, it looks stunning. It looks, it's, it looks beautiful. And, and so, even something like travel into, into space travel, we, we can imagine. It. We have a paradigm to which we can uh, imagine. It. But it is not easy to imagine the thrill of our resurrected bodies. And if we cannot imagine this thrill of a resurrected body and an eternity with Christ, we will not find enough strength to end your present suffering. The COVID-19 crisis will end someday. It's got to end. At some point of time, it's, it's going to end. It's not the end of the world. But the suffering of the world is going to continue beyond COVID-19 till Christ comes again. And so we all need to grasp this thrill of, of inheriting resurrected bodies and living with Christ forever and ever in order to endure present suffering. And, and that's really what I want to focus this morning, this Easter morning, this Easter sermon. I want to completely focus on the thrill of our resurrected bodies the thrill of our resurrected bodies in Christ Jesus. You see, this is where Christian hope is not easy. How on earth do we get excited about our future resurrected bodies? What do we know about it? This is, this is the problem. None of us, I bet, none of us have any experience of our future resurrected bodies we have not seen it we have not felt it we have just not experienced it and so how do we get excited about something that we have never seen how do we get excited about something that we have no paradigm to understand or experience and so this sermon is basically a biblical imagination of the thrill of our resurrected bodies. I cannot lead us into an actual experience of the resurrected body, but God's Holy Spirit can lead us, and I believe he will lead us today, into a biblical imagination of our future resurrected bodies. That's what Paul is doing in this passage And that's what I'm hoping to admit it today. To to do today. Let's admit it. At some level, we're all quite dismissive when it comes to thinking about our future resurrected bodies. We just don't think about it enough. Tell me, did you think about it last week? Did you think about it last month? Did you think about it last year? In passing, perhaps, but but did did the thought of your future resurrected body, did it really engage the meditation of your heart? Look at it this way. Did we even spend 1% of the time that we spent on Instagram last year, did we even spend 1% of the time we spent on Instagram last year thinking about the resurrected body? I don't think so. We, we don't meditate enough about our resurrection into the glorious bodies we will all have as an extension of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of us may not even be believing in the physicality of our resurrection. Sure, we believe in eternal life in Christ Jesus, but do you believe in the physicality of our resurrection? Do you believe that we will rise again with physical new bodies? Do you believe that our eternal life with Jesus will not just be in some amorphous spirit state, but it will be in physically resurrected and glorious bodies? The Bible promises us that when we believe in Jesus, our resurrection and eternal life is not just in spirit or soul or not just the inner man who's going to rise again. It is also a physical, bodily resurrection. Do you believe in the physicality of resurrection, of our resurrection and eternal life? This is important Imagine that there was no physical or bodily resurrection. If that was the case, there is no way we can imagine what the resurrected life will look like. But because all believers will have a physical resurrected body, we have a link for our biblical imagination. Our present body, our present bodies can be the starting point for a biblical imagination of what our future resurrected bodies could look like. So let's take the present human body and the, and the present sensory experiences we have through this body as the starting point to move on to a biblical imagination of what our future resurrected bodies and eternal life with Christ could Look like, and like us to imagine uh, three attributes of the physical body: intelligence, strength, beauty. Intelligence, strength, beauty. We may not think of intelligence as a physical attribute, but it is. Our intelligence uh, it basically begins and ends with a bunch of neurons in our brains. It take away the brain which is a very physical part of the body and we have no intelligence. The brain weighs one point four kilograms. If you hold a human brain in your hands, you can feel the weight of it. It's not like it's not it is physical, it is matter. One point four kilograms. So even our intelligence is comes from the physicality of our bodies. So let's take our present intelligence and our present human body as a starting point for this biblical imagination. Two Hollywood movies uh, come to mind to help us just just, just open our minds up a little bit and just imagine what uh, our intelligence could look like in the resurrected world. The first movie uh, is Limitless starring Bradley Cooper. Uh, The second one is Lucy starring Scarlett Johansson. Uh, the, both the plot lines, both the movies, the plot lines involves, uh, revolves around a drug that can harness the unknown potential of the human brain. In, in both the movies, a drug kind of unlocks the untapped areas of the human brain and the lead actors in these movies uh, become super intelligent. They become super aware. They become super sharp. That's a clue uh, to uh, an imagination of what a future resurrected intelligence in our physical bodies will, will, uh, will look like. In our resurrected bodies, there is nothing that, we, that our minds cannot accomplish, nothing we cannot accomplish once we put our minds to it. And we're going to be exercising the fullness of this glorified faculty of the human brain, not just for our selfish needs, but we are also going to be exercising it for the glory of God and the service of others around us. That's what intelligence could look like in our future resurrected bodies. Let's think about strength. Why is the COVID-19 virus hurting us so bad? It's hurting us so bad because... Our body does not have the ability to quickly develop an immune system to fight it. It takes time to build immune strength. And that's another clue to imagine our future resurrected bodies. We will have all the immune strength to kick any bug and virus. Hands down. There's an author called uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee. And he wrote a book called The Emperor of All Maladies. The Emperor of All Maladies. And it's a book on cancer. And the book is basically a a study on the history and the evolution of cancer. And and Siddhartha calls uh, cancer the emperor of all maladies, of all sicknesses. He he chronicles the entire history of cancer. He he chronicles the entire history of human beings' battle against cancer. And after about 1,500 pages of his book, He finishes 1,500 pages recounting the struggles. And at the end, he says this. He says, we will never, ever conquer cancer. Never. Why? Because cancer is what it means to be human. It is unconquerable because it is corruption. It is decay. Siddhartha is a medical expert. He's not a Christian. But he has understood a deep gospel truth. He's understood that the body, that our present bodies is bound to corruption and decay. The passage we read, Romans chapter 8, talks about it. The passage says, all creation, including our bodies, are bonded to decay. Siddhartha understood that this human body can never be freed from cancer or sickness or corruption or, or decay We need the new resurrected body that only absolute faith in Christ Jesus can give us. Or take beauty. Our future resurrected bodies will not be merely beautiful. They will be glorious. This is the glory that Paul is talking about in this passage. Unimaginable intelligence, unimaginable strength, unimaginable beauty. The Bible, through the accounts of the resurrected Jesus himself and through other writings of apostles like Paul, gives us a sense of what our resurrected bodies will be like. And there are three defining characteristics. First, our resurrected bodies will be tangible. It will be physical. It will be matter, not just spirit. We will have flesh and blood. Second, the Bible talks about our resurrected bodies as being glorious, without any weakness, without any, any, uh, any uh, imperfection. And I, I like to, uh, to speak about this like way. This is going to be a body where there's no more pimples or no more wrinkles. In young age and in old age, even if age has any meaning in the eternal life, we're going to have perfected perfect bodies. And the third thing, this is going to be eternal bodies forever and ever with Christ. C.S. Lewis describes his imagination of what people with resurrected bodies living forever with Christ Jesus will look like. Let me read uh, a small paragraph in the way he imagines. I saw people coming to meet us because they were bright I saw them while they were still very distant. And at first, I did not know they they were people at all. The earth shook under their tread as their strong feet sank into the wet turf. A tiny haze and a sweet smell went up where they crushed the grass and scattered the dew. Some were naked, some were robed. But the naked ones did not seem less adorned and the robes did not disguise in those who wore them the massive grandeur of muscle and the radiant smoothness of flesh. Some were bearded, but no one in that company struck me as being of any particular age. One gets glimpse, even in our country, of that which is ageless. Heavy thought in the face of an infant and frolicking childhood in the face of a very old man. Here, it was all like that. Can you imagine this? Have you ever tried to imagine the future glory of each of our resurrected bodies? You know, at at one level, Everything that I read out from C.S. Lewis is is fantasy. No one knows exactly what our human, what, what our resurrected bodies are going to look like. We cannot comprehend. But that is precisely my point. Do you have the curiosity to imagine the eternal life and your resurrected body and what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like? Do you have the curiosity to imagine all that? If you come from a Christian family, your parents or your Sunday school teachers maybe gave you an imagination. Streets that are paved with gold. It's a biblical imagination. Streets that are paved with gold. And, uh, you know, sand, every grain will be like a diamond. But Tell me, man, who cares about gold these days? We don't really care about gold. You see, their imagination of the resurrected life is of no use to us we need to develop our own biblically faithful imagination of the resurrected life have you developed your own imagination biblically faithful imagination of the resurrected life not what your sunday school teachers gave you not what your parents gave you but your own biblically faithful imagination of the resurrected life actually In this passage, Paul is calling us to more than mere curiosity. He is calling us not just to the curiosity of of imagining the resurrected life. He is calling us to the discipline of imagination. He is calling us to the discipline of imagining our resurrected bodies in Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? In normal times, when a virus... Is not killing thousands, ten thousand, thousands of people every day. In normal times like that, mere curiosity is enough. But in the times that we live in, we need the discipline of imagination. That's the first point that I'm laboring on today. We need to develop our own, our unique, what is true to us, but a biblically faithful imagination of what eternal life with Christ Jesus in our resurrected bodies is going to look like. But where in this passage do I get this idea of faithful imagination? Where am I unpacking this from the passage that we're looking at? Look at verses 24 and 25 from the passage we read. Let me read that out. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If we hope for what we do not yet have. How on earth can we hope for what we do not yet have except through biblically faithful imagination? faithful imagination is a key gospel skill to grow in our hope in Jesus faithful imagination biblically faithful imagination of what the resurrected life what life in the new heavens and the new earth is going to look like friends The COVID-19 crisis demands a sanctification of our imagination. This crisis is crying out for a sanctification of our imagination. Let me explain that. We are all creatures of imagination. We are constantly imagining things, constantly imagining things. Think about it. What is worry about the future? Isn't worry about the future basically negative imagination? Do you know the future? Can you predict the future with with any certainty? Can you predict tomorrow with, with any certainty? So if you don't know what the future holds, but if you're worrying about the future, you are basically worrying about an imagined future. Because if we don't imagine a bleak future, we have nothing to worry about. So it is impossible to worry without the power of imagination. Have you ever thought of it like that? It is impossible to worry without the power of imagination. Because we are basically imagining future worries and so we worry today. Similarly, fear of the future is a negative imagination. Anxiety about the future is a negative imagination. Think about another thing. Who taught us to imagine? I mean, did any of us in our school or college have a subject, uh, uh, did we have a subject uh, called imagination? No, we we weren't taught. Nobody taught us to imagine. Nobody needs to teach us to imagine because we are creatures of imagination. Think about it. When you're bored or when you have nothing to do, when your mind is not occupied, don't we all end up imagining something? It comes naturally to us. We imagine all the time. But the key question we are wrestling with today is what has captured your imagination? What is it that has captured your imagination these past three weeks? What is it that has captured your imagination in the long term? has present suffering captured your imagination or has the future glory of a resurrected body in Christ Jesus has that captured your imagination so this morning i'm calling us to repentance for sinning with our imagination Every worry about the future, every fear about the future, every anxiety about the future that we have all experienced these past three, four weeks is basically the sin of negative imagination. And we need to repent of this. We need the discipline of imagining the future glory of eternal life with Christ Jesus in our resurrected bodies this is no wild imagination this is no this is not baseless imagination this is faithful imagination being faithful in imagining what jesus and the bible has promised us so worry is faithless imagination is groundless imagination baseless imagination but hope is biblically faithful imagination and that's the first gospel virtue that this passage is calling us to. Faithful imagination, biblically faithful imagination. The second gospel virtue this passage is calling us to, and I'm going to close with this pretty soon, is heartfelt conviction. We saw faithful imagination, and we're going to look at heartful conviction and close with it. Look at verse 18 again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is convinced that the future glory is a stronger reality than present suffering. And his imagination is shaped by this conviction that future glory is a stronger reality than present suffering. Our imagination will always flow from our convictions. Our imagination will always flow from our convictions. If we are convinced that eternal hope we have in Jesus is the bigger reality, our imaginations are going to be shaped by that. Our imaginations are going to flow from that. The other hand, if we are convinced that the coronavirus is the bigger reality, our imaginations will flow from that. Our imaginations will always flow from our convictions. We can live by our own convictions, or we can live by the convictions that God forms in our hearts. Our own convictions are those that we form when we believe that we are taking care of ourselves. That's how we lived till one month ago. We all lived till one month ago, believing that we are taking care of ourselves. We are planning our careers. We are in control of our careers. We are providing for ourselves. That's what we believed till just a month ago. But the COVID-19 virus has demolished that notion. I don't think anybody uh, believes that we are in control anymore. I don't think the prime minister of our country or even the president of the U.S. believes that he is in control of what's happening in the world today. Living by our own convictions is no longer an option in the post-corona world. I think this is important. Living by all our own convictions is no longer an option in the post-corona world. So what is the conviction that God gives us? We can read that in just, just a few verses below the passage uh, I read out for us from Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verse 32 for us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God, who did not spare his own son, Christ Jesus, but gave Jesus up to die as a sacrifice of atonement, bearing the punishment for all of your sins and mine, all of our sins that have cost the broken world. God, God, who gave his own son, Jesus, to die for us, how will he not also, along with the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, graciously give us all things? You see, this settles it. This is the conviction we need. If the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus to save us from our sins, if the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus to save us from all the troubles of a sinful world is the greatest conviction of our heart, our imaginations will flow from that. This is what we need to cling to. So shall we cry to God's Holy Spirit to burn This conviction so deep in our souls that all of our imaginations will flow from this conviction that God who gave his son Jesus to die and rise again for us. Will he withhold any good things from us? Let's pray. Father, we come before you crying out to your Holy Spirit. Would you stir in every one of our hearts, Lord? Would you stir and move in every one of our hearts? Would you stir our imagination, Lord, to be formed on the conviction of the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus and stir us, Lord, with that imagination that we might live with that. We will face and acknowledge and grieve in the present suffering. We will not pretend that it doesn't exist. We will face it, but we will face it in the strength of the biblically faithful imagination and hope that we have of a resurrected life with Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.